Welcome to the North Main Podcast, a production of North Main Street Church of God in Butler, Pennsylvania. This podcast brings you North Main's messages every week. We strive to know God intimately, grow in Christ continually, and go for Him daily. I invite you to listen in today as we explore the Bible and learn about its unchanging truths for living life God's way. Let's listen in to this week's message. Well, happy Mother's Day to you out there as your children head out to some amazing, cool, fun stuff that they're going to be learning this Mother's Day, which I'm sure you might find out about later. Um, We welcome you today. We are taking a break from our regularly scheduled series in Habakkuk to talk about mothers. I normally will hand this day off to a special speaker or guest. I don't feel equipped to speak to moms. And I think I learned something this year. Um, My mom had such an indelible imprint and such a huge influence on my life. Um, (laughs) The newspaper called last week and asked me if I would, well, they they called trying to get a hold of me and I was avoiding their call. If I'm being honest, because I never know, through the almost 11 years I've been here, I've gotten calls from the paper before, and I'm like, oh, they're going to ask me about something that's going on in the community and what my comment is on it or something, and I'm like, you know, there's stuff going on in the community that I just don't want to comment on. And so I avoided a couple calls, and then somehow she got in through my direct line, and I didn't realize who it was, and I answered, and it was Wendy Norris, and if she's watching today, thanks, Wendy. Uh, I, I couldn't avoid the call, and it was to ask me what my mother's influence has been on me throughout my life and my ministry, and I'm like, oh, I could do that. I could talk about that. Okay, yes, I will talk to you about that. Can I tell you that conversation was of God, because it not only gave me an opportunity to articulate a lot of times what I've hidden in here about what my mother really means and what she has done for me, the sacrifices she's made, the way she has fought for me, her only child, um, in a way that nobody else on earth could or probably would. And so that 10-minute conversation turned into a 40-minute conversation with a news reporter. And um, I was able to speak into her life. You know, it gave me an opportunity to talk to her because I said a few things about my mom which struck her as curious, interesting. I said one of the things that my mom showed me in life is that there is good in every person. It doesn't mean that all people are good, but it does mean there is good somewhere in there, even for the worst of people. And she showed me that by the way she lived her life. She didn't do it perfectly. I don't know anybody that does except for Christ. But she showed me how to treat others with honor and respect and dignity because of the image of God they were created in. She said, even those who are not children of God have worth and value because God created them with a purpose in mind. They can reject that purpose 
But it doesn't stop the fact that we should be loving them the way God first loved us. Now, she may not have articulated it like that. She's a sweet lady from Kentucky with a little bit of a twang. If you've met her, you know what I'm talking about. But that's the life she lived out. And following in those footsteps and the trail that she blazed led me to the foot of the cross. Following in those footsteps led me to the door of ministry, which I probably would have never walked through had it not been for her example in life. And so I know not everybody's story is like that. Some of you had moms that were not great. Some of you maybe have come to learn your moms did the best they knew how to do, but they weren't given a great example either. But today I want to talk about two different types of mothers. One specifically from a story that's not often talked about on Mother's Day. And no, I'm not doing Psalm 31. I've heard so many moms tell me I hate Mother's Day because they pull out Psalm 31 and I can never measure up to it. And so I just give up. Seriously, I can't tell you how many moms have told me they love Psalm 31. Did I say Proverbs 31? It's bad when the pastor can't even remember the scripture. Hey, it starts with a P. All right. Proverbs 31, thank you. Because they can't live up to it. I mean, this woman is like a mighty woman, does everything and still has dinner on the table at five. I mean, seriously, it is something to aspire to, they say, but every time I've gone and a pastor, guy pastor, stands on stage, they tell us what we should be doing. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't want to do that, which is why, a lot of times why I, I will defer Mother's Day to someone of a woman's stature who is able to speak into your hearts. So today, and we're not going to get there just yet, we'll be looking at 1 Kings chapter 3, starting at verse 16, and I won't tell you what it is just yet. You can look it up. Came across this illustration, I thought it was cute, and thought I would uh, start with this this morning. It's been told that on the sixth day of creation, when God created mothers, he was working overtime. Not because they were complicated as such, but because they required a lot of different things in order to be good moms. An angel appeared that day while God was creating mothers, and Asked, why are you spending so much time on this one? The guy you didn't spend so much time on, why spend so much time on the lady? And the Lord answered and said, have you read the spec sheet on her? She has to be completely washable, but not plastic. Have 200 movable parts and all replaceable. She has to run on black coffee and leftovers, have a lap that can hold three children at a time and that disappears when she stands up, have a kiss that can cure anything from a scraped knee to a broken heart, and have six pairs of hands. Amen. Right? <laughs> the angel was astounded at the requirements on the spec sheet. Six pairs of hands? No way, said the angel. The Lord replied, oh, it's not the hands that are the problem. She also has three pair of eyes. And that's on the standard model, the angel asked. 
or that sounds like that's on the standard model. The angel asked the Lord, not in agreement. Yep, one pair of eyes is to see through closed doors as she asks the children what they're doing, even though she already knows. The other pairs on the back of her head, they're there to see what she needs to know, even though no one thinks she can. And the third pair are here in the front of her head and therefore looking at an errant child and saying that she understands and loves him or her without even saying a single word. You know, the angel tried to stop the Lord. It was just too much work for one day. Wait until tomorrow to finish. Oh, but I can't, the Lord protested. I'm so close to finishing this creation that is so close to my heart. And then the angel moved ever slightly closer. And he touched the woman. Oh, but Lord, you made her so soft. She is soft, the Lord agreed, but I've also made her tough. You have no idea what she can endure or accomplish. Will she be able to think? Asked the angel. The Lord replied, not only will she be able to think, she will be able to reason and negotiate. The angel then noticed something and reached out and touched the woman's cheek. He said, whoops, looks like you have a leak in this model. I told you that you were trying to put too much into this one. And the Lord says, oh, that's not a leak, that's a tear. What's a tear for, the angel asked. The Lord said, the tear is her way of expressing her joy her sorrow, her disappointment, her pain, her loneliness, her grief, and her pride. Well, the angel was all too impressed at this point. You are a genius, Lord. That's overstating it, right? That's right. You are a genius, Lord. You thought of everything for this one. You even created the tear. And at that moment, the Lord looked at the angel and said, you got it wrong again. See, I'm afraid, my friend, that I created the woman, but she created the tear. God creates moms to be strong and soft, self-sufficient and trustworthy, tough and beautiful, smart and compassionate. And different from fathers, God created mothers to carry a child in the womb for nine months to feel every change at the center of her being as this child grows, being created in the image of God. A mother reflects the love of God's tenderness, his nurture, his hope. A mother, as a mother, she is fierce, but she is also fearless as she runs the gauntlet of parenthood. From birth to empty nests, she cares and protects as only a mother can. And though not every mother is perfect, and though some women are unable to bear children of their own, women are indeed special, unique, and wholly a part of God's perfect design in his good creation. And to highlight this uniqueness today, there's a story or a tale of two mothers. Solomon has reached kinghood at this point. He's been handed the scepter of rulership over Israel. His father David is now passed on. And Solomon is asked by God what gift he should be given. And Solomon requests wisdom. Not riches, not fame, not strength or power or might, but wisdom. And God says, because you've chosen wisdom, I'm going to give you everything else. 
And as a test of that wisdom, Solomon is setting on the seat as judge during this period of time in 1 Kings chapter 3 when a suit comes before him brought by two different women or brought by one woman against another. And the story goes like this. Two prostitutes came to king to the king to have an argument settled. Please, Lord, one of them begged. This woman I, I, and I live in the same house. I gave birth to a baby while she was with me in the house, and three days later, she also had a baby. We were alone. There were only two of us in the house. Why is that significant? Because in Jewish culture, you had to have the witness of two males in order to be able to have a case in court. If you came to court without the witness of two men, it wouldn't stand up in court. The fact that these are prostitutes and women makes it doubly worse, and it says they were alone. So it's one accusing the other. But they're coming before the judge, who is Solomon. Verse 19. Her baby died during the night when she rolled over on it. And then she got up in the night and took my son from beside me while I was asleep. She, she laid her dead child in my arms and took mine to sleep beside her. And in the morning when I tried to nurse my son, he was dead. But when I looked more closely in the morning light, I, I saw that it wasn't my son at all. And then the other woman interrupted, it certainly was your son, the living child's mine. No, the first woman said, the living child's mine and the dead one is yours. So they argued back and forth in front of Solomon, the king. Then the king said, all right, let's get the facts straight. Both of you claim that the living child is yours and each says that the dead one belongs to her. All right, bring me a sword. So a sword was, a sword was, sword, sword. A sword was brought to the king. Sorry, I'm trying to be phonetically proper here. Then he said, cut the living child in two and give one half to one woman and one half to the other. The woman who was the real mother of the living child and who loved him very much cried out, oh no, my Lord, give her the child. Please don't kill him. But the other woman said, all right, he will neither be yours nor mine. Divide him between us. And actually, in cases like this, there is Old Testament law that would say divide between the two. Then the king said, do not kill the child, but give him to the woman who wants him to live, for she is the mother. Now, commonly, this is looked upon as the great wisdom of Solomon to reflect and give example of his great wisdom. But I want to look at the living or the mother of the living child today, and at the nature of this mother, because I do believe it reflects what our key point is today, and that is God's compassion is reflected in a mother's love. I believe that wholeheartedly. As we break down this passage today, let me see. Let me express to you some of the um, some of the lists of what a true mother is. First, we learn that a mother knows her child. How many of you? <clears throat> um, 
we had a board meeting on Thursday night, and I'm going to use her as an example. I hope I don't embarrass her, but Sarah DeFrisha was concerned because my son was driving her two daughters from Slippery Rock to the church for youth group on Thursday night, and I was kind of concerned, too, because he just got his license not that long ago, but he's a phenomenal driver. Right, Ian? Where are you? He's up all the way in the back of the balcony, as far away from his dad as he can get. But then, after a few moments, she could hear the squeals of laughter of her two daughters. And I'm like, how could you tell that? was?" She's like, I just know. A mother knows her child. They could pick out the unique cries and sounds of babbles and coos of her child from hundreds of feet away, if necessary. In a room full of screaming children, they can hear the scream and the tones of their own child. A mother knows her child. Biblical scholar and author Richard Nelson explains, even though the narrative does not say so, the reader assumes that the first speaker, the the woman of the living child, is telling the truth, and thus is the compassionate woman, the real mother. The compassionate woman's maternal feelings were stirred. She picked up this child in the wee hours of the morning as the sun is probably just about to break over the horizon. And in this place where they lived, in the dim-lit area of that space, she picks up the child she thinks is hers, only to find it dead. But then she inspects and realizes. It doesn't say that the freckles are in the wrong place, but she knows her child. Guys, we oftentimes see babies and they're like, they all look the same to me. Right? Right? They all, I mean, a baby's a baby's a baby, but they're not. And every mother knows the distinct features and sounds of their child. And this woman knew this. She knew this intimately, even though the baby was relatively new. She'd felt its kicks and movements for nine months prior. She intimately knew this child. There was a bond and connection that she had. Commenter, uh, commentator Gene Rice writes, this story is a study of character and motherhood by comparison and contrast. The mother through, one mother through negligence caused the death of her son, stole the son of another woman, falsely and arrogantly asserted to the king that the boy was hers and was willing for him to be cut in two rather than to surrender him. She wanted a child to possess, and if she could not possess him, she was not willing for anyone else to have him. The true mother, because her heart yearned for her son, she was willing to give him up. She calls him a born one, if you translate it from the Hebrew. The the living mother calls him the born one from her. She doesn't just say her son or her child, the one she had bore, the one she gave birth to, the born one that he might live. True love regards the loved one as a gift to be cherished and not a possession to be grasped. And this is the sign of a true mother. The second thing is that a mother fights for her child. 
You know what? There's interesting wordplay here. Do you know the word for compassion is, has the same root word for womb? Did you know that? In the Hebrew, and I'll give you a little bit of a background on this, the Hebrew word for compassionate is rechum, R-A-K-H-U-M. And when it's used as a noun, it's rachamim. And both words relate to the Hebrew word rechem, which means womb in English. So whenever you read the word compassionate or merciful, you get the idea of a womb. This is often spoken of, of God. Exodus chapter 34, you remember when Moses asked to see God face to face, and he says, you can't see me face to face because you'll die, but I will cover the rock in the cleft on this mountainside as I come by, and when I, get, when I pass by, I will remove the veil so you can see as I pass. This is what the Lord shouts out as he's passing by Moses, who is in the cleft of the rock. The Lord passed in front of Moses, calling out, Yahweh, the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy, Rahum. I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. The psalmist writes in Psalm 145, verses 8 through 9, The Lord is merciful and compassionate, rachum, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. The Lord is good to everyone. Do you catch that? It's a different sermon for a different time. The Lord is good to everyone. The Lord showers compassion, rachamim, on his creation. You know why it's so closely related to the mercy and the compassion of the Lord? Because it is through the Lord that everything in the world came into being. As the creator of the heavens and the earth, God knows the deep-seated feelings of love and compassion. He knows us more intimately than we know ourselves, just as a mother knows her child. And he fights for us, just as this mother fought for her child. Let's, with this in mind, let's reflect on this passage again. Biblical scholar James Montgomery asserts that concerning verse 26 in 1 Kings chapter 3, there is to be noted the psychological expression, which reads in the New Living Translation, then the woman who was the real mother of the living child and who, quote, loved him very much, cried out, do you know what this loved him very much is translated as? Her bowels fermented for her son. It sounds eekish. They didn't know all of the anatomy of the human body back then. But where did you feel the most? Where do you feel the most emotion? When you get nervous? When you get excited? Right, you, you're just like, oh, my, my stomach's in knots. Where do you feel butterflies? Where do you feel butterflies when you're in love? Here, right? 
I see this in many moms today, a willingness not only to go to great lengths for their children, but to fight for them with every single breath. Now, this doesn't mean that these moms do everything for their children, but it does mean that they run interference for their children when necessary. They work to overcome injustice, enacted toward their little ones by interceding when needed. They fight for their children when their child wants to give up by challenging them to get up, stay strong, and move forward. They fight for their child by their willingness oftentimes to give up their desires for health and happiness. These moms find true joy and sacrifice because their hearts are indelibly connected to the heart of their child. Thirdly, a mother sacrifices for her child. Author Charles Wilson in his commentary on 1 Kings says that Solomon employed the test of love to determine the true mother of the child. Solomon was not going to allow that child to be cut in half. It was a test. And do you know like Solomon did, God tests us at times. Hey, Abraham, take your son Isaac up to the mountains of Moriah and sacrifice him as a burnt offering to me. I'm sorry, what? Yeah, your only son that you waited so long for, take him up on this mountain and sacrifice him for me. See, the test of love is often given to those through whom love the most. And the reality is God will test whether or not we love him by asking us to lay everything on the altar. Do you know when this mother was tested, the mothers were tested. It revealed a great, a great amount about where each of them stood. The reality is if the, the mother who stole the child were to be the one that would have been given that child, she would have treated that child poorly. Because think of what her reaction was when the child was to be cut in half. Yeah, go ahead, slice him down the middle. I'll take half, she can have the other half. But the true mother was willing to sacrifice everything, even the opportunity to be that child's mother just so he could live. I'm 47, I grew up in an era where... <clears throat> You know, abortion's been the thing for, well, my whole life. But prior to that, and even since then, there have been mothers that have given up their children to adoption. Some of them have had their children taken away because of foolish mistakes and decisions they've made. But many moms gave up their children because it was a calculated decision that they didn't feel they could care for their child the way that maybe somebody else could. And then we can scoff at moms like that and we can really think poorly of them, but the reality is, like this mother, you're willing to sacrifice everything so your child can have a better life. I don't claim to know what it's like to stand in that position. I don't claim to know many of you in here who have pain and scars from difficult situations in life. It's the result of living in a fallen world. And as poorly as we might reflect the image of God to the world around us, the only hope we have is through Christ Jesus, who is truly merciful and compassionate. 
there's this maternal stirring in most women, if not all women, who have this innate ability to connect in ways through love that guys just don't, don't have. And I know there's exceptions to every rule, okay? I'm not talking about the exceptions. I'm talking about the rule. We were created differently, male and female, each of us were created very differently. And we in, have this imprint of God on our lives. Mothers have been gifted with a great amount of nurture. They tend to be in tune with their emotions and feelings more than guys tend to be. Again, the rule, not the exception. But you know one of the unique factors of the differences between men and women is the fact that God created us differently for the purpose of doing what? Fitting together as one. And when these two fit together as one, the way God designed and created, and they have children of their own, and they nurture with the foundation of oneness, they reflect the image of God in a way that only moms and dads can. And when dads don't demand their own way, and when moms don't demand their own way, but the two allow each other to function in their strengths rather than hounding them for their weaknesses, there is a foundation that is not easily shaken nor broken because it's rooted in Christ and his design for the family. And I know our culture wants nothing more than to destroy and tear that apart. But moms, you are good. Don't believe the lies of the magazines, the TV, or the reports out there. They slander you. And don't believe the lie of the enemy who wants you to focus on your failures. I know many of you have failures. Don't lean into the failures. Lean into God who can be the perfecter of your faith. One of my saving graces as a dad and as a father is I know where I mess up, God is able to fill in my gaps. I can't tell you how I beat myself just trying to be a parent here and, and express to you from at least a father's perspective, and you could express it, women, from a mother's perspective. But I know this to be true as a parent, that God who covers a multitude of sin for the one who is in Christ is able to cover the gaps that I leave in my relationship with my kids. And I pray, God, as you mothers do this too, help fill in my gaps. Complete me. Help me to be perfect as you are perfect and holy as you are holy. Moms, you are good. Ilian Jones writes, on the great biographer Ida M. Tarbell's 80th birthday, someone asked her to, take, or to name the greatest persons that she had ever met. And she responded, the greatest persons that I ever met are those nobody knows anything about. Once the New, York, the New York Times was asked to help gr a group of, of club women decide on the 12 greatest women in the United States. 
And after due consideration, the editors replied, this is back when the New York Times was pretty decent. The editors replied, the 12 greatest women in the United States are the women who have never been heard of outside of their own homes. So Jones concludes, I ask you, who is greater, Thomas Edison or his mother, the inventor of the light bulb or his mom? When he was a young boy, his teacher sent him home with a note to his mother, which said, your child is dumb. <laughs> we cannot do anything for him. He's a hopeless cause. And Mrs. Edison wrote back, you do not understand my boy, so I'll teach him myself. And she did, with results that are far known beyond the schoolroom. As our worship team comes forward this morning, I want you to feel the sense of joy that comes, moms, from being a mom. Those of you who have bore your children physically and those of you who have not. To all the moms out there, you might feel unknown, underappreciated, and at times inadequate. You might experience loneliness and frustration, embarrassment or shame. You might even at times want to throw your hands up in the air and give up. Stay the course. Stay the course. God can fill in your gaps. You are strong, you're courageous, and God has created you for such a time as this. And you may not see it now, but the indelible imprint that you're leaving on your children is a blessing even if they don't see it now or notice it right away. Seek God always. Walk with fear and trembling on this road of motherhood and leave the rest in God's hands. If your child has walked away from the faith you've raised them in, don't lose heart. If you have a prodigal, don't give up hope. Stay strong. Stay on your knees. The Lord hears your cries, and he desires to bring them back. But be like the father in the prodigal son's story. When they return, don't say, I told you so. Run out to meet them along the way. Wrap your arms around them and say, welcome home. Father, in this place, <laughs> we know you created us uniquely, male and female. We are distinct and unique. We were created for a purpose. And the fall that happened in Genesis 3 kind of threw everything out of whack. The image in our lives got distorted. The enemy who seeks to steal, kill, and destroy decided to take and pervert everything you created as good and make it into something that was not. Forgive us where we've given in to the lies of the enemy the lies of Satan, who tell us that your words are lies and his words are truth. Remind us that your truth is only through your son, Jesus Christ, who was the way, the truth, and the life. And though 
when we follow in your way as moms and dads and individuals, the rest of the world may look upside down to us, but remind us we're walking right side up the way we were created to if we walk in your footsteps. I pray for the moms in this place and those that are listening today and watching today that you would give them an extra portion of your presence, an extra portion of your grace and blessing beyond measure. Pour your goodness into them. Help them to see themselves the way you see them, as people of worth and dignity that you were willing to send your son to die for on the cross. And in humility, as they rise to the occasion, let them seek you with all of their heart, soul, mind, and strength and love you the same. And fill in their gaps, Lord. And remind them that they are more than their gaps. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us this week. Check back next week as we dig deeper and go further in our understanding of God's Word. Make sure to visit us on our website, www.northmaincog.org, where you can learn more about us. If you found value in today's message, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would be helpful too. Donating to the ongoing ministry of North Maine is easy. Just go to our website and click on the Give tab at the top of the screen. Thanks for listening. We look forward to you joining us again next week.